I'm Danny, that witch next door. And you're listening to That Witch Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Welcome to the neighborhood. I'm Danny. I'm that witch next door. I'm your host. I'm your guide. I'm your mentor and instructor in all things magic, witchcraft, astrology, and witchy business. And I am a little more excited than usual. And I know I tell you I'm excited every time. And I hope you know that I genuinely mean that every single time. Um, But I really, truly am a little extra excited about today's episode because this is one of my favorite, favorite astrological themes to talk about. It has been one of the most prominent themes in my studies. If you've ever had a session with me, you know that it's a prominent theme in how I do my readings and how I do my sessions because I do believe so, so wholeheartedly in the overall universal concepts, well, the connected concepts of polarity and therefore duality. Oh, I'm so excited to talk to you all about this. Now, this subject in general is not super foreign on this podcast. I have mentioned this before, but today is all about me really allowing myself the airtime to really dig into this because it has been one of the most beneficial learning tools for me personally and in my studies, really in my actual like retention of learning astrological knowledge. And I cannot wait to share this with all of you because I really, really believe that these themes resonate so deeply and so well with everyone because this theme is so universal. And I personally believe, as you'll see as we go on today, I believe that this theme, this universal theme is just that truly universal. I think it exists within everything within our universe and I will be getting into that. So, uh, it's high. It's really nice to be here. I feel like it's been so long since I've been with all of you. I just wanted to say thank you all so much for letting your girl have a break the last couple of weeks. I really, really appreciated it. Um, I am in the middle of a lot of really, really fun transitions in the business and I'm having a blast with it, but I also, you know, have to practice what I preach and make sure that I'm putting my mental health first and my well-being and my family and all of that. So, I really appreciated everybody's support the last couple of weeks while I took a little bit of time off of the podcast and just put out one episode each week. But we are back in full swing, two episodes a week, and and I'm really, really excited about this next progression of episodes as we kind of get into the meat and potatoes and then finally end up wrapping up the Applicable Astrology series. So let's talk a little bit about this. Okay. Hello. It's Tuesday. It's November 30th. We are about to start a new calendar month tomorrow, depending on when you're listening to this, of course. And the moon is in Libra today. Where is everyone today? We know if you've been putzing around on the uh, astrological community 
on Instagram, you probably saw that Mercury did make his sneaky little way into Sagittarius. I I feel such a harmonious energy there. Mercury and Sagittarius. Sag is so fun. Mercury, honestly, is very, very fun-based as well. In fact, it gets him into a little bit of trouble sometimes. And so I think that this is kind of a fun energy. I think that we find ourselves being a little more honest than we realized that we were being in the moment. And we were like, oh, did I just say that? Oh, shit. (laughs) But the cool thing about this Sagittarius kind of blunt nature is it does kind of come off in this laid back kind of way. Since Sagittarius is this mutable sign, it's not very aggressive the way it might be with Mercury and Aries, for example. (laughs) This is more um, definitely being blunt, definitely being honest. I think that all three fire signs are very, very truth-based like that. But Sag, I want you to lean into this energy a little bit, especially those of you that really do have a hard time finding and speaking your truth because Sag helps make it feel like it's not that big of a deal. That's what I'm trying to say. It's like, eh, but it's got to be said. You know what I mean? They'll be okay. We'll be okay. Let's move on. It's the truth. It's the truth. Um, and, and so I really, I hope that you can kind of tap into and lean into this Mercury in Sagittarius energy. All right. Now, when it comes to polarities and dualities, in astrology, we're going to be going through the opposing signs through the astrological wheel. So if you want to head over to thatwitchnextdoor.com slash resources, you will be able to pull up a visual of an astrological wheel, or you can pull up your favorite copy of an astrological wheel that you have anywhere else or everywhere. Uh, okay. That I was right in my face. No. I should be really careful when I'm teaching class like this with a pen in my hand. <laughs> now, before I get into the six polarities, okay, there are a total of 12 signs, which means that there are a total of six polarities. First, I want to kind of, I want to preface all of that first with kind of my my theories and my thoughts around this universal theme, like I referred to it, of polarity and therefore duality. So in nature, in our universe, (laughs) that made it sound really a lot cooler. In our universe, (laughs) okay, in our universe, there in everything that exists, everything that exists, down to the very, very molecules that we are made up of. Everything is made up of the same shit, okay? We're all made up of the same thing. Even broken down to the smallest, most microscopic that we can go, as far as I know at least, is the atom, right? And even atoms are composed of protons and neutrons. There is polarity in everything. We see this in phrases like, um, for, uh, what are, what am I trying to think of here? For every reaction, there is an opposite and, or for every action, there is an opposite and equal reaction. This is another 
theory theme that that connects to this overall universal theme of polarity and duality that I'm talking about. I firmly believe that this universal polarity exists because the ultimate, ultimate goal really is true harmony, which is another word for true duality. Duality is two completely opposing things existing simultaneously to the point where one cannot exist without the other. There's almost a codependency here. And that starts getting a little more complex. And I love talking about that. So if you want to talk further about this, I would love to. Shoot me a DM, shoot me an email. But in general, that's where I'm coming from. This is why I lean so hard into this theme because I be- everywhere I look, the more I, I really apply this, this theme and the, these theories to my life, the more I see examples of it and the more I work with and lean into this energy, the more harmony and balance I accomplish in my life. I feel so wholeheartedly about this. And I'm going to be very blunt with you and say, I want you to take the themes that I'm talking about today of such hard fucking opposites, okay? That's what a polar is. They're fucking opposite for a reason. I want you to apply these themes directly to our political, like, social world and society right now. Everything that's going on in our world, especially politically, especially anything you see in the world that has this very hard binary quality to it, I want you in your mind to pull up the themes of this episode. I want you, listen to me, this is your call to action. I want you to open your mind and yourself up to duality, true duality, that two things can exist and maybe they need to exist at the same time. Maybe they need to exist at the same time because the true, the true goal at the end of the day is collaboration, is learning from one another in order to harmonize. Okay? I really want that to sink in, and I just want you to take it with you. All aboard the starship. Here we fucking go. It's time to begin with Aries and Libra. So we have the first house and the seventh house here. I'm so excited to have done this series because now it's all fresh in your minds because I know you just listened to your house's episodes. We've got first house. We've got seventh house. We've got self. We have others. We have like inward identity and we have relating, like very external and outward. In Aries, we learn the importance of self of identity, self-worth, self-confidence. In Libra, we really truly learn actual connection. Like really outside of ourselves connection. It's very, very different than the connections that we experience in the fourth house of family, in the fifth house of like legacy where our children are, remember? because there's a lot of parenthood there and stuff. Even though there's definitely deep connection in those relationships that lie in those houses, in those experiences, 
it's different, okay? In the seventh house and in Libran themes in general, we are very, very others-oriented. And this is where Libra really gets shit on in a very, very unfair way, in my opinion. Um, Libras get lost in that that stereotypical people-pleasing syndrome because they truly are so concerned with others, with balance and harmony that they're willing very often to self-sacrifice in the name thereof, which is exactly why they're here. That's what they they came to really learn and master in this life, okay? When you have prominent Libra placements. You really got to make sure you're not overextending yourself, okay? If you got <laughs> big Libra placements, I just want to say. Now, on the on, again, on the opposite side, in Aries, Aries can really teach Libra to tap into giving yourself permission a, to do that, give yourself permission to do fucking anything. That's one of the biggest passions of, of Aries is that individuality is there's nothing wrong with, with taking care of yourself, with putting yourself first, okay? There's nothing wrong with being self-interested. Libra and the seventh house really reflects back on Aries and gets Aries to to let go of its fear of vulnerability. Because Aries, you know, when you are so self-focused, it's really, really easy to kind of shut the world out. And you don't realize the next thing you know that you don't have a lot of close relationships because you have been so deeply afraid of true vulnerability, which a deep close relationship period requires. Sorry, part of the bag. It's part of the deal. You don't have to be in the deep relationship. Don't get me wrong. That's your choice. But if you do want a true, deep, connected, meaningful, external relationship that's outside of yourself, a healthy dynamic, you're going to have to be open to vulnerability, period. You don't have to be a master of it, but you got to be open to the concept. Um, And Libra really teaches this concept to Aries. In this area, in, well, in these areas, I should say, in the, the first and the seventh house, if you have a lot of, of energy in that house, in either of those houses, especially, especially if you are somebody that has a lot of major energy or placements in the first and in your seventh. So you have the full-blown, what we call an opposition going on. Your life is very, uh, big, big themes in your life are very centric to balancing identity, healthy sense of self, and maintaining healthy relationships and really mastering that duality. If you have really prominent energy in one over the other, especially if one of those houses is empty and one of those houses has one or a few really major prominent energies in it, what you need to be mindful of is not getting so hyper-focused on the house that has those big major placements that really, really call forth your attention attention and awareness. 
to the point where you end up inadvertently neglecting the other house, usually the empty house that doesn't have a lot of energy pulling you toward it, pulling your awareness toward it. Now, this actually brings me to a really important point. I meant to get to this at the beginning of the episode. Anyways, um, I actually had two or three of you reach out to me after the last couple of episodes and ask me about empty houses. And I've talked about this a couple of times, but I do want to go into it with a little bit more depth because it directly applies to this polarities episode anyways. In astrology, one thing I want to make clear first and foremost is in astrology, in your natal chart, if you go look in your chart and you have one, if you have five empty houses, like whatever the number is, it is not, I repeat, it is not a bad thing. There there are no, remember we talked about this on the eclipse episode, there's no good and bad aspects, there's no good and bad placements, all right? It's not about being bad or good. Empty houses it's not really a black and white answer, okay? It's not really like an empty house definitely means this and it definitely does not mean this. It's more about how it feels and how you make the choice to work with that energy, okay? Don't forget, your placements are what they are, okay? We look at our cosmic code, we use it and interpret it, but no matter what, soaked into everything we do is our free will and choice. Okay, that's why it's that's why the placements, the aspects, the houses, whatever it is, is not inherently good or bad. We can potentially make them good or bad, I, I suppose is a good way of saying it, depending on what we choose, what we decide to do with those placements, to do in those empty houses, okay? That's more what it's about. I have seen so many charts. You guys, I'm serious. Listen to this. I've read so many charts by this point, okay? I've looked at so many fucking charts, whether it's a client or a celebrity online. Like, I'm obsessed with astrology. I read charts every day, all the time. And I promise you, in all of my experience, in all of my experience, there is, there's no such thing as like a good chart, if you will. Meaning if I look at it, I would go, oh, perfect. This is probably a really good person. This is probably X, Y, and Z. I have read charts for dirt bags, murderers, okay? You gotta do, there's actually a podcast that I'll shout out and tag called True Crime Astrology. Um, and it's dope. I'll link it. Um, making a note. Okay. I'll link it below. But I've read, okay? Trust me, I've looked at the charts of what we would definitely call bad people, okay? And if you didn't know anything about that person and anything they had ever done and all you had been given was the chart, it depending on the reader and the astrologer, you could have easily as an easily interpreted as, oh, wow, this person can do X, Y, and Z, and they have all these strengths. And it really, truly is about what that person does with the chart, which is where we get twins, by the way, just so you know. Oh, that's another big question that I get all the time. Identical twins that um, have the same charts. Keep in mind, no matter what, you're going to be at least a minute or two apart, no matter what. And that's going to change the rising sign. It's going to change the degree of the rising sign, even if it's down just to the minute. That that can make the little bit of, the little bit of, the most, even though it's little, a significant difference because 
They're still human beings who have free will. They get to use their charts. They get to show up and embody their charts however they please, okay? However they decide. So keep all of that in mind. So when it comes to empty houses, it is not a good or a bad thing. It And I don't want you to think or get too confident, okay, in this theory. But, well, let me preface, let me rephrase that. Empty houses are areas of life that our higher selves, that we did not choose to really put a lot of focus and attention and awareness on in this particular incarnation. I don't want you to automatically think it's an area of mastery. That is what I mean when I say don't get overly confident. It does not mean it's an area of mastery. It doesn't automatically mean it's an area of challenge either. See why this is a little kind of, you have to kind of read your chart and interpret what your empty houses mean for you. And then look at somebody else's chart that you know really well and look at their empty houses and see maybe how it's a little bit different than your empty houses, okay? You'll you'll see, the more you look at charts, you'll start to understand this energy. An empty house, because it's not an area that pulls and draws a lot of our attention and awareness, means it can, not automatically, but it can become an area of neglect and it can be an area of ease. That's a better way to say it, not mastery. It's not a place that you like, oh, I already figured out all those in other lives and I'm good. (laughs) I hate to break it to you, but that's not really how it works. We're not in my in my personal beliefs, I don't think that we like start out like the most broken and unevolved and eventually we achieve some kind of like perfection. I think that humans are very concerned with that that term. And we think that the whole goal of all of our evolution and our learning and getting through our lessons is to achieve some kind of like perfection. And I will be so honest with you. I don't think that that exists. I think that that's a human concept, the word perfection. Um, I think it's so subjective and that's why it can't possibly exist. So not in a true sense, because anybody could debate over what's perfect and what's not perfect. So try not to look at the, like, if this is an area that's empty, I, I must not need to worry about it. I promise you that if that's the attitude that you take, you will see that. And that happened to me. And you might've heard this when I talked about it, when we were talking about the 11th house episode, that's an empty house for me. And it definitely became an area of neglect at many, many, many times in my life where all of a sudden I would look around and be like, oh my God, what kind of energy have I been allowing around myself? clearly it's influenced me and my actions and my thoughts as well. And it's like, I just woke up to the realization of it. Okay. That is very, very empty house energy to me. Is this like all of a sudden like, oh shit, I was ignoring this all this time. I was just being like, I was just like, tossing junk into this area, or I was neglecting it altogether and avoiding it and never being in that house, never being in that area of life. Okay. Um, or if you, and this is the whole point of astrology, and this is why this episode is so fucking beneficial. 
if you make sure that no matter what, you're really applying and tapping into this polarity and therefore duality theme, you will never have a house that goes unmissed, right? No matter what. I mean, unless you have two houses that are opposing each other that are empty, but you still need to make the choice and the effort to go into those areas. That's why I think astrology is so beneficial because without it, many of us don't realize, oh, I have been neglecting that area of life. That's why I'm so grateful for astrology. There's, it's shown me so many shadows. It's shown me so many of my, my strengths and it's shown me so many of my challenges. And I like information, okay? So that's... That's the best way to use the information of an empty versus a full house, okay? You just, you want to make sure that you're going in there and still doing some maintenance. You don't want it to be an area of neglect. A lot, a lot of people make that big mistake. Oh, I don't have anything in that house, so I don't have any Gemini. So I don't have any Gemini lessons or themes. Anybody that tells you that usually is seriously avoiding some very major, major lessons and themes. Don't forget, just because you don't have a placement there doesn't mean it's not in your chart. We all have all 12 signs. We all have the full energy of the astrological wheel within us at all times, okay? I love that. Now, let's move on into... Taurus and Scorpio. So in Aries and Libra, we really learn and master duality of self and others, okay? Taurus and Scorpios, second house to eighth house. We now are bringing in major, major themes of possession and possessions. That's why in Taurus, in the second house, we have income, our house and our assets and our, right? Like our daily physical possessions that we have, um, how we make money, how we spend money, especially on those physical like things in our environment. Scorpio then transcends this into a longer term version. The opposite or opposing energy here to me has very much always been this very earthly attachments earthly possessions, physical and emotional and spiritual attachments and possessions. Now, in Taurus, we learn themes of sustainability, practicality, patience. Um, This is a place that's ruled by Mars, whereas on its opposite, traditional, oh, sorry, Taurus is ruled by Venus. Taurus is ruled by Venus. But on its opposite sign, Scorpio is traditionally ruled by Mars. There it is. Um, And so there's this very earthy, receptive nature in Taurus. That's why Taurus is so patient, by the way. It's got that Venetian influence. That's why Scorpio has so many like fiery traits about it. Like it can be a little more impulsive, a little more impatient because of that Mars, that Marsian, Marsian influence, okay? Scorpio, with that stinger especially, gets Taurus to fucking budge a little bit sometimes. Even though Scorpio is a fixed sign just like Taurus is, and if you haven't caught on to this already, all polarities 
have the same um, modality, okay? So Aries and Libra are both cardinal. Taurus and Scorpio are both fixed and so on and so forth, okay? Um, Scorpio, though also a fixed sign like Taurus, still does take uh, more action, I would say, than Taurus. And this is where Taurus really learns learns Scorpio something. No, Taurus really teaches Scorpio a thing or two about empathy, which I think is fascinating. This is one of my favorite polarities, by the way, because technically Taurus is this earth sign. Earth really gets uh, labeled with cold and detached and emotionless. Uh, Scorpio being a water sign, water sign's gonna get labeled as being very emotional, right? However, uh, Taurus really teaches a different kind of empathy and therefore receptivity and patience to Scorpio. And on the flip side, on the big flip side, Scorpio actually teaches a very important lesson in patience to Taurus. And people are always blown away when I say that. They're like, what? No way. Taurus is the most patient of every sign. False. False. Um, I would argue that it's Capricorn, but we can debate that another time. Uh, Scorpio is who teaches Taurus, my friends, about long-term investments. This is where those emotional attachments and honestly emotional possession comes from, is Scorpio understands long game. Remember in the story and the progression of the Zodiac, remember that because Scorpio's on the top hemisphere, it's so external, but Taurus, little baby, it's still so new in the progression of the Zodiac, so it's still very, very self uh uh, not self-interested, but there are a lot of themes regarding personal yourself when you're still in the sign of Taurus, okay? It's very, it's still a very internal energy and internal sign. Internal, it's it's an internal portion of our astrological journey when we're in the sign of Taurus. And Scorpio is way more external than that. And because of that, what does Scorpio have? It has broader perspective than Taurus has. And Scorpio is able to teach Taurus, therefore, hey man, long game, long game. This is why that house has these long-term investments like we talked about, okay? That's why taxes and long-term assets and investments are in that house, um, that's why Scorpio has a lot of the psychic ability that it does. It's very plugged into the network, very tuned into all of that, while Taurus is totally plugged into and in tune with the earth and the physical and the physical uh, environment around it at all times, okay? And really helps ground Scorpio, who can totally, totally get lost in its occult knowledge and its spiritual knowledge. In it, Honestly, it can get lost in being too long-term. And Taurus reminds, therefore, Scorpio, the importance of the day-to-day possessions, the day-to-day spending. See how they fuel and feed each other. They're, you'll notice that they're all meant to do that. That's the whole point of all this. Now, into Gemini and Sagittarius. Now we're into two mutable signs, okay? Gemini, airy, Sagittarius, fiery, Gemini, ruler of the third house. We are detail-focused here, okay? We are obsessed 
with gathering information. And quite honestly, this is the commonality between the two. You'll find that there is a common theme in all of the polarities. So in the Taurus and Scorpio, it's very much possession and all of the different meanings within that word, right? In Aries and Libra, it's self and others, okay? That natural duality of I am an individual that lives here on this earth and I exist with other people, okay? That's their theme. And here in Gemini, Sagittarius polarity, information, 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 okay? Gemini, again, since we're in the early stages of the Zodiac Wheel, we're very day-to-day oriented. That's why we're so detail-oriented in this sign at this stage, um, that's why Gemini has to comb through everything. That's why Gemini needs to know the whole story. I need to know every single thing that happened. Do not leave out a single fucking detail because to Gemini, it needs and it thrives off the analyzation process itself. That's why there's this starvation and craving for details itself because it wants to thoroughly process. Mercury ruled signs, Gemini and Virgo. I want you to think of the word thorough when you think of them, okay? That's why Gemini, hi, me, Gemini Mars, that's why we talk so much because we want to be so thorough. We don't want to leave out any of the information. That's why in Virgo, Virgo is so efficient and gets everything possibly done until it basically works itself to death. It's thorough based, okay? It really values thoroughness is a better way to say it. Now, in Gemini, there's this natural curiosity, right? Because of this theme of information gathering. And we very much see this reflected in Sagittarius. However, some of the big, big opposite or opposing differences here are going to be, number one, I find Gemini to be Gemini and Virgo, the lower hemisphere mutables to be the least flexible of the mutable signs. And I find Sagittarius and Pisces, the upper hemisphere uh, mutable signs, to be the most flexible signs of the whole entire wheel. They're the most like, like laid back, like go with the flow. Um, Adapt, 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 adapt. Gemini and Virgo definitely do it, but there is a rigidity to it. There's, and that's because of the Mercury ruling. It's very uh, jittery. In Sagittarius, we find the same type of movement because it's constantly moving, just like Gemini. If we're mutable, we're, we're almost constantly moving. If you have mutable placements and you're a, you know, a jittery person that has, you, there's, there's your mutable placements shining through. We have a lot of that never ending movement in Sagittarius, but the difference is we're smoother here. Why? Why are we smoother? This is the biggest key difference between the two of them. Sagittarius is constantly zoomed out in the bigger picture. And you'll find this in the overall biggest opposition of all, which is the upper hemisphere versus the lower hemisphere, okay? And we could even go across the other axis too, axis too, but let's not get too far. In Sagittarius, because we're on the upper side of the hemisphere here, we are very zoomed out. Like we've talked about in the houses episodes, we really have a bigger perspective. We've been through so much experience. We have a bigger perspective. This gives Sagittarius, especially that fiery placement, this confidence. It follows its instinctive truth. That's what Sag does. It doesn't get bogged down by the details because half of those details could be completely inaccurate and pointless. 
but Gemini reminds Sagittarius that the details do matter. Sometimes the smallest detail makes the biggest difference. And Sagittarius gets Gemini to fucking look up for a second and actually take stock in the information that it's consuming. And Sagittarius being such a truth seeker that it is, it gets Gemini, and this is why Gemini and Sag, you'll find that there's headbutting there. You'll find there's headbutting in all these polarities, of course. Um, you'll find that that Gemini really naturally wanting to focus on these details and Sagittarius really facing Gemini with the challenge, hey, I want you to take stock in the actual value of the information that you're consuming. Does it even matter? Some of my, and I've used this example before, I'm sure. My best examples for Gemini energy that's like going on a roll is my ability (laughs) to get sucked down a celebrity gossip rabbit hole. Oh my God. Get me on Wikipedia. Get me on Buzz. What's it called? Buzzfeed. Any goofy like Huffington Post about some stupid Kardashian crap that the more, the more it doesn't matter, the more I will fall down that rabbit hole. That is like Gemini energy on overdrive. And that is a big sign when that happens to me. That's a big sign that I am feeling curious. This energy needs stimulation from me. And this is why at this portion of my life, a lot of my Sag qualities have finally really been activated and really confronting my Gemini qualities. And I've been experiencing a lot more harmony there. It's nice. Sag helps me to take a step back and look at the bigger picture and go, hey, we're needing some stimulation in this area, obviously. Gemini is going to consume and gobble up and be super thorough about almost anything you put in front of it. So why don't you replace this, what, two hours, I'm not even exaggerating, like two hours of like clicking down an internet rabbit hole about Travis Barker and Kourtney Kardashian. (laughs) Instead, take that away from Gemini's focus and insert, I don't know, a book about philosophy, a book about ancient history, a book about cooking, a book, like all of these different interests that I have, okay? Give Gemini something it really is interested about and and you will have a mastery of a subject. Seriously, when you tap into and balance Sagittarius and Gemini energy, you can fucking explore and master any subject, but you got to balance the two. Okay. Again, again, that's going to be the theme for every single polarity. Okay. This now brings us to, they're all my favorite. I'm going to say this is another favorite, but they're all my favorite because I love this theme. Um, Cancer and Capricorn, fourth and 10th house. Guess what is here? Guess what's here? Life, work, balance. If you have really prominent MC and IC energy, fourth and um, 10th house, uh, even if you just have uh, where whatever houses they rule for you, if you have prominent Capricorn and Cancer energy, or if you have really prominent Capricorn and a lack of Cancer or vice versa, I can almost guarantee you that life-work balance is going to be a big theme for you. <laughs> but seriously, um, first of all, in astrology, Cancer is considered, or what we have labeled many times as, like the mother energy of the Zodiac. Um, I don't love giving that as like a hard and fast label because I really don't want to super like genderfy any of these energies. Um, really, truly. 
Because even within each father and mother or however you would identify is polarizing energies that have nothing to do with gender. So try and open your mind. Don't avoid that. Just expand beyond these binaries that we're like really conditioned, okay? So instead of thinking of the term mother as like woman, think of themes of mother and more. Let's go a little bit further. Themes of home themes of household, themes of family, right? The roots, where you come from, tending to those things. That true, meaningful family time, that inwardness that is so, so necessary, right? Because the IC is the most inward part of ourselves. This is us as children, our relationship to our parents. On the opposite side, in Capricorn, which again has been very often referred to as the father energy of the, of the zodiac wheel, Capricorn is so driven to to build and provide the most efficient system for all. Again, since we're on the top half of the hemisphere, we're super, super externally um, vision focused. If you like, that's where our perspective is. We're very, again, to use the same phrase a trillion times, we're zoomed out up in Capricorn. Okay. And, and this really helps pull cancer out of its crab shell. Capricorn really can help get you out into society. Cancer, on the other hand, really brings and anchors, which is fucking fascinating to me because technically Capricorn is an earth sign, right? Very grounded energy as we would talk about. And, and cancer is a water sign. Normally we wouldn't say that's a grounded energy, but because it's on the lower half of the hemisphere, because it's located at the IC, this is really, and when we're talking about the fourth house in general, regardless of what is ruling there, it's very interesting. There's an anchor here where this is really where the 10th house is anchored and why and where their theme comes from. They also feed each other. They can help each other thrive. This is why, are you ready? This is why it all starts at home. When I say that phrase, which I have said a million times, I'm literally talking about this. That that phrase came to me when I was studying, when I was really like deep in the IC and 10th house opposition and like really just working with those themes. I think in my own chart, and that's when it clicked with me. Whenever people say you can't pour from an empty cup or it all starts at home, because people say that too. I'm not saying I coined that phrase by any means. I mean, when I say that, that's what I associate it with is this like astrological polarity. Whenever I say it all starts at home, like internally, I always picture, I'm picturing like fourth and 10th house, like this, this theme in general. Okay. And so this is where we learn that lesson. This is where we also learn, are you ready for this hard truth? That you have to leave your home. You have to leave your home. It's important. You can't stay home forever. You can't never fly the coop. This theme is so important. This is where we see, especially in parenting, whether it was our relationship to our parents or our relationship to our children, just letting go of things in general, all things grow and like eventually outgrow us or like needing us, okay? This is a big theme in your business too. 
when you want to like build regular clientele or whatever, and you want to work with somebody indefinitely, that's not a super, and this is okay, but that's not a super realistic expectation to set for yourself. We are constantly growing and evolving. Nothing ever truly stays the same. It just doesn't. And so we will eventually always outgrow everything. And that is okay. And this is what Capricorn, 10th house and MC stuff teach this cancer and fourth house and IC, okay? Is that we don't just stay there forever. What the fuck would have happened in the story of the astrological wheel, the beautiful journey we all went on, if it all ended at the fourth house? Oh my God. Can you imagine that? And this is where cancer has to face a lot of its themes. This is where helicopter parenting comes from. This is where overprotectiveness of of whether it's your family or your friends come from. You have to be willing to let people go out and grow. And that means that they're going to get hurt. And it means that bad things are going to happen to them. I can guarantee it because you know what? That is a part of our experience. But look at the whole wheel. If we would have stopped there, that was only a quarter of the journey. Capricorn reminds Cancer that there's so much more. Cancer reminds Capricorn that you always have a place to come back to, that roots are important, that roots matter, and that you can take your home wherever you go and you can create that sense and that energy wherever you go. This is where they harmonize each other. So, ah, see, it's just one of my favorite themes. I love it. Now, we're on to the last couple into the fifth house with Leo, opposing Aquarius in the 11th house. This is a huge theme in my life, huge theme in my life, because my north node is in Aquarius and my south node is in Leo. And if you were born around the same time as me, which I was in October, 1990, you, uh, if you're within, you know, if I was a, so if you were born, upwards of a year, year and a half prior to me and anywhere in between, you probably also have the same placement. I think I'm getting that right. I'm getting better about not needing to look that up and being able to do that in my head. Um, But this is a very prominent theme for anybody that was born within that time that I'm talking about because um, our North Node and our South Node are always 180 degrees away from each other. It is an automatic a couple of placements. It's an automatic aspect we're all born with. It's an automatic opposition or polarity that we're born with um, because the nodes are always 180 degrees apart from one another. So they will always be in opposition. And this is where we look to, to see where we've come from and our experience, where we've been comfortable, what we've worked through prior. Um, and, and that's our South node. And then where we are now heading to, where we're being called, where we're being pulled, lessons that we will be encountering and may start encountering, which is our North node. Okay. So that no matter where your North and South node are, that's a great place to start in learning about and understanding polarities in your chart, just so you know. And you can also go onto your app, like time passages, for example, go to your aspects and look up oppositions, okay? Oppositions are what I'm talking about today. And they are just a great, great way to learn and retain all of this information, I really, really believe. So in Leo and Aquarius, Leo, fifth house, being concerned with our legacies, right? 
Specifically, our legacies, though, through self-expression. This is where the sun typically rules. So our ego typically, again, traditionally in the, in the wheel rules here. This is where our heart-centered path is and our ripple effects, right? Everything that we do in all of our passions and how that carries on lifetimes beyond us, quite honestly. In the 11th house, we honestly see not necessarily a full-blown opposite of those things. We see a huge expansion on those things. The Where the opposite or the polar comes from really, really is in the signs themselves. The houses, the areas, the fifth house themes and the 11th house themes to me have a lot, a lot, a lot um, more in common than the other houses do because there is so much authenticity in the 11th house as well. It's really using your strengths to give back. That's what community and philanthropy is, okay? And so in many ways that we're doing that in the 8th house, we're using our passions and our heart-centered path for that to like carry on our legacy, if, if you will. We're way, obviously, more zoomed out, again, because we're in the northern part of the hemisphere when we're in Aquarius, so it's going to be more more expanded. But where the actual opposite comes from is in the signs, in Aquarius versus Leo. Leo is, is very aware of eyes and being seen, like we talked about. Aquarius is just as aware of it, just as aware of it, has zero value in it, doesn't really care. And that's where that detachment comes from in Aquarius. And that's where that, let's be honest, kind of attachment comes from in Leo. Leo will start to thrive off of adoration and praise of others and Aquarius, in my opinion, really does seek that within themselves. As long as Aquarius knows and feels like they're doing their part to give back and to like continue on that, that legacy or that in their mind, it's, it's more, or their theme, it's more progress. Whereas in Leo and fifth house is more legacy. It's more progress for, for Aquarius. Um, it really, it's not going to turn away praise. Aquarius is not going to be like, oh my God, don't compliment me. Um, it might react a little weird because Aquarius placements, let's be honest, y'all are weirdos and that's why I love you. Um, but it, it doesn't put any value in it. It doesn't need it. It really doesn't need it. And in Leo, because it hasn't had the same experience that Aquarius has, doesn't realize that it doesn't need that yet. And that's one of its biggest lessons that it has to learn through is you follow that heart-centered path because it's the heart-centered path, okay? So one of, I think, the best ways that that these polarizing energies really help and, and fuel each other is Leo, let's be honest, really does get Aquarius to warm up a little bit, okay? Um, 
it's not that Aquarius, like, like we talked about on the Aquarius episode, it's not like it's it's cold automatically, right? And, and unemotional. But Leo does get Aquarius to come back from being so zoomed out. This is what all of the lower hemisphere does for the upper hemisphere. It helps bring the focus and attention back home, back to a more specific perspective. Um, because Aquarius really has to remember those, those lower hemisphere lessons and themes of it all starts at home. One of the biggest detriments or downfalls of Aquarius is it will, just like I said, as long as Aquarius thinks and feels like it's doing the right thing, that's all that it needs to know. And because it's so not concerned with other people, what do we get in over excessive Aquarius energy? We get self-righteousness. We get this almost closed-mindedness, even though it's such an open, broad, zoomed-out perspective. It can really actually become very self-righteous because it totally detaches from the opinions of other people. And I hate to break it to you, but sometimes other people are bringing a very real, a very real perspective that you really would benefit from considering. And I think that's what Leo gets Aquarius to do is that, hey, there are eyes. And like, you're right, we shouldn't lose ourselves in in the adoration of others, right? Like we shouldn't lose ourselves in external validation. But those eyes that are watching us matter how they interpret and how they're taking into our, like, our actions matter. If we don't sometimes think that way, how progressive can we actually be? Does that make sense? If we get too closed off to the opinions of others, again, you don't need to base your own personal value on that. But I do think in a lot of ways, they get each other to be more open-minded. I think that Aquarius really gives Leo the permission to detach from the the need of others, from the need of like praise of others. Um, but I think that Leo reminds Aquarius like, hey, there's there's other people like, you know what I mean? Like that that closer community, that legacy, that personal legacy that you're leaving behind, that matters just as much as this ultimate communal, really collective legacy that Aquarius is so driven to leave. Okay. So that's one of my favorite ones. It's a really profound one. If you want to talk profound, let's wrap it up then because the sixth house and the 12th house is a very profound place. I I think that this is where manifestation is. Um, You could technically find themes of manifestation in any of the other houses, but it prominently lives here. So in the sixth house where Virgo traditionally rules, because we're on the lower hemisphere, this is where we are focused on our day-to-day self service. Remember our self routine and rituals. Um, it's a very, very physical place here because it is an earth sign. Virgo's an earth sign. Um, but it is mercury ruled, which is very important here. So there is some air in this sixth house, which is very, very important because in this polarity in specific, the mind matters a lot 
because the 12th house, the opposite, is where our subconscious lies. And where is our subconscious but in our mind? So even though Pisces is a water sign, I think it is important that we note that there is established air energy here that comes from the sixth house, that comes from that Mercury-ruled Virgo. And, and I think that that is what brings Pisces and the 12th house themes into real life. Hence, we have manifestation. Um, Pisces being the dreamer, especially if you're, you're looking at the, looking at the astrological wheel on the website, Pisces, the dreamer, Virgo on this wheel is labeled the purest. But if you've heard me before, I will always refer to Virgo as the alchemist because of the numinous deck, which yes, I will link the numinous. Okay. I'll link it. It's an astrology deck. You can use it like an oracle deck. I've always used it like a study tool. I'll do a little show and tell with it one day. Um, But in that deck, Virgo is actually labeled the alchemist. And I think that that label title, if you will, is I like that better than label. That title resonates a lot, a lot better with Virgo. Pisces being the dreamer, Virgo being the alchemist. This means that we have some pretty big superpowers in this house. We can dream it and we can bring it into reality. That is the goal here. Now, this open, healthy communication line between the 12th and the 6th house, no matter what rules it for you, is fucking important, okay? Important. I'm serious. Um, If you lean too heavy into one or the other, we have some massive self-sabotage going on. Virgo And Pisces both, their biggest downfall is self-sabotage. Number one, number one. And Pisces, um, again, being upper hemisphere, being more zoomed out, they're more open and willing to be like, yeah, I do struggle with some self-sabotage. Virgo, so because Virgo, one of its main, main, main major themes is self-improvement, that means, like we talked about on its episode, It really doesn't like facing itself. It's going to naturally kind of avoid actually improving itself. And that's why it hyper fixates on its environment or improving those around them. And um, Virgo is not as open to this, this concept or this mirror in their face. They typically are, this is going to be the energies within yourself that tell you, no, it's not us. It's not us. It's other people. It's other, it's outside of us. It's outside of us. And Pisces, because the 12th house in general is this final, you know, step or place in the overall progression of the wheel, Pisces in the 12th house, you've come so far by the time you get to the 12th house. Um, We're so much more open-minded to those things. And we've learned so much along the way that usually when we're looking at our 12th house themes, a lot of the times, um, again, especially depending on what rules there that really, and your particular But if it does happen to be Pisces, this is just why Pisces is such an open-minded sign because it's, it's got a little piece of everyone who came before it. Right. And so it's, it's open to new ideas. It's open to different things. It's been through a lot. So it knows that no matter what, all things that end begin again. And And this is what Pisces really, really, really teaches Virgo. 
But what Virgo really teaches Pisces is that you can't get lost in that theme. You can't get lost in that, yeah, well, you know, um, everything that ends begins again. So I'll always get another try. So I don't even have to worry that much, right? This is where we can get that kind of self-sabotaging behavior where, where we're we're really not being accountable for this earthly life and this earthly existence, like these physical actions that we're taking. And Virgo and the sixth house really reflect and and teach that to the 12th house and, and teaches that to Pisces. Um, this is very classic. Uh, Virgo helps ground uh, Pisces. The sixth house helps ground the 12th and the 12th house really really helps open up the mind of the sixth house, really helps expand it beyond just the day-to-day. And again, the sixth house reminds the 12th house and the unseen that the day-to-day matters. It directly links to our subconscious and our unseen. So it definitely matters. And then in general, wherever Pisces and Virgo rule in your chart, biggest themes here is Virgo really does get Pisces to pull its head out of the clouds and actually look around itself and live this life, okay? But Pisces reminds Virgo of not just magic in general, but of its magic. I want you to remember this, all of my little Virgo placements, okay? Especially those of you that have prominent Virgo and prominent Pisces sign. Your pi- you were born with that really to, to thrive in that, that duality, that superpower. That you get to live this very present earthly life being so aware, which is a gift, okay? It's a gift to be that aware. Especially, especially when you're so open to the natural magic all around you, which is what Pisces gets Virgo to remember. It opens that perspective up. Pisces reminds Virgo, hey, 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 you know how you're the alchemist? Yeah, Pisces, I know I'm the alchemist. What about it? That's, that means you're a wizard. That means you have magic. That means you can turn anything into whatever you need it to be to enhance your experience. Virgo doesn't really realize how profound its superpowers are. Pisces reminds, in my opinion, Pisces actually kind of, we are all blessed with Pisces energy in our charts and the people and the Pisces energy that we um, experience outside of ourselves as well. I really think we were gifted this energy to remind us of magic and spirituality and, and etherealism and existentialism. There's more than just this grounded experience. And I am not ever going to be this like proponent of being an escapist, right? That's where a lot of toxic spirituality lies is in Pisces and in toxic 12th houses. Um, Is this, that's where spiritual bypassing is. That's where a lot of this like, oh, I'll just ascend past my earthly experience. Uh Uh-uh. We are meant to experience both. We are meant to to be rooted and grounded and present and aware of this experience. And we are meant to have our eyes and all of our senses as open as possible to really experience it to its fullest. Do you see how they unlock each other? I could go on for way too long about Pisces and Virgo. Again, I know I said this a thousand times, but for real, one of my absolute favorite polarities studying and looking into is Pisces and Virgo stuff. So, 
this was so much fun. I love talking about this stuff. I really hope that this sparked some things for you as well. I really hope that this resonated for you as well. I hope that this unlocks a whole new way that you're, that you really take in your chart as a whole. Okay. I'm excited to start getting it now that we've done the whole wheel. I'm so excited to go into some of these different categorizations and couplings and things like that, because I really think it helps us understand and open up to the energies of these signs and houses and planets, everything. Um, so much more. It's such an expanded awareness when you start looking at the different overlaps, at the different oppositions, at all, all of these different little, little combos. Okay. So let me know how you liked this. Um, it was so good to see everybody again today. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being you. Thank you for coming and joining us in the neighborhood and bringing your special magic. I absolutely love every single one of you. And I'm so, so, so grateful for all of you. Um, if you are really enjoying learning about astrology with me and, and how to apply it to your life, you are going to love that witch school. And the wait list is open right now for early, uh, enrollment. I will be announcing early bird enrollment not too long from now. So if you're not already on that wait list, you want to be so that you don't miss the early bird enrollment specials and discounts and things like that. Okay. So there might be some special bonuses that only go to early birds, literally like content that I only make for you that you get that won't get posted in the regular school if you sign up early. So you just sign up with your email. It's easy. Cost no money. Okay. All right. If you have any questions about that witch school, if you want to work together, if you want to learn more and connect further, you can find all of my contact information in the show notes, where to follow me, where to connect with me, send me questions, send me feedback. I would love, love, love to chat with you. All right, everybody, this was amazing as always. You get out there, you embrace this Mercury and Sag, you speak your truth, all right? And uh, you stay magical out there. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's episode of That Witch Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard here today, I would be really grateful if you would head over to iTunes right now and leave a super nice five-star review. You can follow me on Instagram and TikTok at thatwitch.nextdoor. I love connecting with all of you outside the show. Keep those questions, keep those comments coming. You can send fan art suggestions for topics on the show. You can nominate people to be interviewed on the show. Send anything like that to thatwitchnextdoor at gmail.com. And if you'd like to work together, I am offering a really amazing mentorship program. I'm only offering a very, very limited number of spots. You can submit your application and learn more on my website. And you can also book a one-on-one session with me at thatwitchnextdoor.com. Thank you so much again, and I'll see you all next week. 